Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. Welcome to this week's Smallscast podcast. This podcast is designed for small government contractors, service providers, and manufacturers as part of the government contractor ecosystem, connecting people, organizations, and resources. I'm your host, Just Nate, and this week we have Dennis DK. Welcome. Thank, thanks, Nate. Hey, you're number three today. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, <laughs> I'm like, hello. swap things. I'm sorry. <laughs> hello. So, yes. You're, hi. Hey. Uh, what's up? I haven't seen you much today. I know you've run around, been kind of off doing <laughs> drinks with somebody. Uh, not yet. Not yet. Not oh yet. yeah, that's right. That's what's coming after this, isn't <laughs> it? We're both doing that. So okay, Dennis, we have somebody in person with today. Um, a whole new setup again. So we have Mr. Brian Ormsby. He's the founder and CEO of Pantheon Solutions. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, what happened? Got air conditioner just shut off. Yeah, it's a lot better. It's like a more better jet. It was. I thought it was me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're a hot air guy. <laughs> so funny enough, so Brian, I was just thinking of Brian. I was writing it down because um, well, at the end of this, I want to talk about the next aerospace networking event because people can meet you live and in person there. Perhaps it'll be like I think the third week of May, end of May. Oh yeah, definitely be there. So we met at uh, the. Um, aerospace networking event up in uh broomfield last month yeah last month well, now. that's why i didn't i wasn't there you were not there no no and uh you big know, success I, I still have kids so so we're trying to do a lot more collaboration with folks up in denver different organizations so that was co-hosted by the smalls and ndia the national defense industrial association the smalls and then aerospace which is um a company up in boulder well now they're up in um Thornton, I think. But uh, anyways, they we kind of co-hosted that event together, um, which was a great turnout. And we're going to do that again next month. So look forward for that on your calendar in May. So welcome, Brian. Do you have a date? Yeah, thanks. Welcome. No, we don't have a date yet. I got to follow up. That's my note. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, and I was, I was talking to Advanced Space about that, um, trying to get on the list of people who do sponsorship because we love to join that group. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Good group. Good group. We got... You know, the government contractor ecosystem is huge in Colorado, and I think most people don't really realize the extent of it. And one of the reasons why we started the Smalls was because a lot of the small government contractor-related companies, they don't know a lot about, about these events that are happening out there. You know, the right hand doesn't talk to the left, but even though there's a lot of services and organizations out there, I don't know. It's just the, the, the information, while it's there, is not, like, evident and people like like you said well i didn't i never heard of that event or like the smalls we have events here the spring uh, in the springs 
down in Pueblo. We do a little bit with the guys down to Mexico, New Space, New Mexico. They do something every third Thursday. We're tied in with them. Um, trying to do a little bit out in Salt Lake. You know, try to get the ecosystem talking to each other more, at least aware of things that are going on, because there is a lot of opportunities um, to network, collaborate, and grow is what our motto is there. By the way, did you see that? I didn't look at it once. It's yeah, so. all up here like a rock. <laughs> it only took two and a half years. Got it down pat. I am I am definitely never going to oh, be an actor. And, and thank you for doing the yes, you know, the greatest minds. I love when that comes out and I watch people's face to see what they do. They're like, really? I'm a, I'm a great mind? No pressure or anything, but <laughs> most influential. Yes. So, so, Brian, tell us about Pantheon Solutions. One, the name's cool, but tell us about the company, what you guys oh, do. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we started about three years ago. We are a... Um, small government contract compliance company. Um, I've worked with bigger firms and decided that I wanted to get outside of that space and try to focus on small companies because some of the bigger firms are really geared, especially pricing wise towards firms that have a little bit more resources. And so I wanted to focus on pre-revenue companies and revenues or companies that were going from phase one to phase two, um, which, you know, basically working in a virtual environment, all of the people who work for Pantheon Solutions basically work out of their offices in their home, including me. And that keeps our overhead low, which allows us to provide those services at a better cost. So that's our focus. Well, So when you say phase one, phase two, you're throwing a lot of buzzwords out here. And if people oh, aren't, yeah. aren't necessarily in the space, <laughs> right? I have to, so the, the ecosystem for me and Nate runs from, you know, you're a large government contractor to a small government contractor to service provider. So like you, some provides a service to the infrastructure, to manufacturers, professional organizations, government officials, government organizations. Those are all, that's the ecosystem. So I'm sure we have listeners in here who don't have anything to do with that uh, as well. And so I always kind of back up a bit. So you're talking about a small business innovation and research, SBIR, phase one and phase two, correct? Yeah, I mean, it, that's, that is a very prevalent environment that we deal with. But we also deal with a lot of companies that are basically sub-awardees of larger firms and okay. never get into, you know, direct contract work with the government, but they still have to be compliant because they're working indirectly for the government anyway. So we have, we have a lot of folks like that. Um, so you're kind of an accounting for, is it compliance? Is it's, I'm guessing financial compliance, right? And, and regulatory compliance policies and all that kind of stuff. What's your left and right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So if you, you start from the beginning, you know, we focus initially on accounting compliance, making sure that they're, you know, that they have the structure to manage the government's money. But then we also look at other things that kind of become ancillary of those, like purchasing systems and um, their bonus policies and just making sure that their entire business acumen falls within the regulations of what is required dealing with the government. Yeah. And the I think entire financial side back end. Exactly. That's, that's you know, we, we talked to a lot of companies and that's probably the biggest thing out there that most people aren't aware of is when you want to become a government contractor just all of the requirements that are really out there from a fiscal point of view, but it, everything else too, right? I mean, they just, they just demand a lot of, uh, like you said, compliance. Yeah. I mean, most people are, when they get into business, they're interested in getting their business books and things done good enough for the IRS. Right. Well, that is a completely different structure than, you know, what, for example, the DOD or the DOE requires. 
Um, so, you know, we go through the process of trying to get people set up that way. And for some clients, we just train them how to do it themselves. Because if you have your own ecosystem, they just need to learn how to do it the government way. Then we provide training as well and, and basically stay out of their accounting system except for advisory roles. So where are the, where, what's the hardest thing for companies to kind of comply with or to get fixed? What's the area that most people struggle with the most? Just curious. Uh, I think it's the, the, the government compliance environment is a job costing environment, which requires you to calculate your rates and then apply those rates to jobs and mm -hmm. figure out how each job is being profitable and or charged correctly to the government. So I think that's probably the biggest hurdle because for any business going from just standard accounting to job cost accounting is a big jump. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there any software out there or any tools that can help a company understand what, how, how, to, how to build their rates? Well, there, yeah, I mean, there's lots of tools and there's, there's lots of firms that are, um, you know, generally focused in this market. You know, you look at companies like Uninet or CostPoint. Um, there are other companies that are um, what they call add-on softwares to the QuickBooks, um, hmm. you know, suite of things. So you can get those kind of compliance things Del out Tech. there. Um, well, you've well, got CostPoint. Is you got yeah, yeah, yeah Dell yeah, Tech, oh, which sorry, is yeah, CostPoint. Right, right. But um, yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of different things out there. It's it's really I think trying to figure out what which one fits you, mm -hmm. because it is it's definitely not um, every square peg. And right. every, you know, and there's different cost points well, for those too, right? They're all, is, is there a list out there? So we're talking government contracting, right? For yeah. the most part right now, federal yeah. contracting, whatever, um, U.S. government. What, I mean, there's only a certain few that are going to be approved for DCMA accounting systems, right? Well, that's a misnomer, right? Because the government does not approve accounting programs and systems to work with them because oh. they can't that that would be a violation of their independence then got favoritism towards the company exactly oh, yeah. so there's plenty of programs out there and there's plenty of programs that can they can claim that they can get you through a DCAA audit or something of that nature or have experience having gotten several clients through an audit so those are the questions to ask right mm -hmm. do your system set up properly, will it be audit worthy? I mean, I think that's a really big thing. But quite frankly, we use, we, well, our company, we call ourselves accounting system agnostic. Mm -hmm. So whatever accounting system you bring to us, we can make compliant. And you'll make recommendations too, if we don't have one. Well, certainly. And, yeah. if, and if somebody's in an accounting system that doesn't really fit their business, you know, you completely grow out. If you're if you're Sierra Space and you're still in QuickBooks, you're in the <laughs> wrong program, right? <laughs> or or your account's about ready to quit. One of those two. <laughs> yeah, I don't probably think both. I don't think they're using that, but yeah, yeah. You know, and that's so that's exactly the thing is at some point you need to graduate, right? And so some of the smaller programs that are are um, you know more cost friendly are the right programs for you in the beginning, but at some point you you will grow and need to graduate. Are they pretty easy to graduate out of one and move to another? Or is that gonna be a $100,000 job for cost, cost point to move everything out of QuickBooks into the cost point? Well, you know, you mentioned $100,000 in cost point. That, that may be the price, depending I, I on where you joking, are. Right? I wasn't mean, joking, um, It's not for the smallest. Um, yeah, so some of these are super expensive. There's, there are some programs, you know, for example, Uninet, where, um, you know, brokering over into Uninet is actually, 
you know, not that cost prohibitive, especially if you find the right provider that can move it, move you into that kind of program. But, um, you know, they are tend, you know, they all tend to be reasonably expensive. Even, you know, it's even, a, it's going to be a few thousand dollars to take your regular QuickBooks program and make it compliant. Right. So hmm. it's, you know, there's, there's, um, there's nothing that requires effort that's free, right? Uh, and whether it's your staff that's putting the effort, which is dragging them away from doing the research and development they should be doing, or you're paying a third-party provider to do it, one way or the other, there's a cost of doing business. Now, it, is the government is that chargeable back to the government to say, hey, I had to pay for this to get my accounting system approved by you guys to, to do business with you, or should you just put that in your overhead as part of your GNA or something like that? Well, I mean, that's how it is charged back to the government is, you know, what you have to do is you have to kind of look forward in what you're doing when you're dealing with the government. Because when you bid a project, that project's going to start sometime in the future and it's going to end sometime even further in the future. And the rates that you bid for that project are going to be dependent on what you think your rates are going to be at that time, right? So if you know that you're going to have to upgrade your accounting system in order to deal with the government, you need to go out and get quotes and figure out how much that's going to cost so that you can bid that into the project and make sure it's in your rate structure so the government can pay for it. So when, when should I, so I'm, you know, Dennis, I'm starting my company. When when do I engage like you? Should it be from the very start? Like, you know, most people probably don't, like you said, they probably, Oh, we'll just use QuickBooks and we'll just manage our own stuff. And, you know, I went online, saw a YouTube video and, and they'll kind of do it alone. When, when's a good time to bring you in? It's like, you know, like I talked to Amazon guys and they're like, well now, right? Like, (laughs) and then you can have it set up at least. So, you know, when to turn things on and off and that kind of stuff. So when's a good time to invest, uh, engage with your company? Yeah. And I think, you know, the third party providers generally are all about the same and, and, I like to think that we're very equitable in how we deal with this. I like to think that the best part time to engage us is immediately. And then what we do is we kind of ramp up your services Mm -hmm. as the contracts will allow you to pay for those services. So we try to be very, you know, um, in tune with how much funds you actually have to spend. So in the beginning of government contracting, because the government doesn't know whether you're going to advance to the next phase or not, a lot of times you'll get an R&D proof of concept type uh, grant in the beginning, and they're not even sure if you're going to get to the next phase. So quite frankly, the government, even though the rules are the same, they're not looking at your accounting system as hard. And they do that for two reasons. One, they don't know whether it's worth their time because Mm -hmm. you may not make it to the next level. And two the dollar values at those initial proof of concepts are very small. So it's really not in the government's interest to spend a lot of oversight. So what we try to do is kind of tune down what you're doing in terms of compliance to the level of where the government is going to look and make sure that we're not spending a boatload of money in the beginning. Once you get into a contract that goes over these thresholds, $750,000, you know, a million dollars, and then we need to make sure that you're fully compliant and you're following the rules. And at that point, you'll be able to get your indirect rates exactly where they are. You'll be able to negotiate that with the government and make sure that all of these ancillary things that are needed are paid for. And do you help them establish those, like you talked about earlier, help them establish the rates? Or, or I mean, you just, you're going to do end-to-end, right? That's what it sounds like, cradle to grave. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Our goal is to make sure that 
all of the companies that do business with us when they're doing business with the government can remain profitable. It's in the government's best interest as well, because if you remain profitable, the government can use your products going on in the future. Right. If you're not profitable and you fall out because, you know, you end up going bankrupt or, or just can't keep it going, then the government loses that capability as well. So, you know, that is our interest is to make sure that all of our clients are profitable and we, you know, set them up in a system so they can bid those things and, and remain profitable. Do you, do you know, I don't honestly know. I know like, isn't it something like 75% of all small businesses fail? And I think that's kind of writ large commercial, In the first right? year. Well, I'm curious to DOD contractors. Do you, have you seen a number like how many small government contractors fail? Because I don't, I actually don't know a lot that, fail i don't know most of them get bought right that i know yeah yeah i mean we you know it's kind of an interesting thing and i have no idea what the real numbers are yeah i would like to think that that we're in kind of a rose-colored glasses environment because we're treating our clients differently we probably lose somewhere around 10 percent of our clients where the technology just doesn't take them to the next level um I have never lost a client because they couldn't afford to stay in business. It's normally because either the government's not interested in the technology or their proof of concept didn't work. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, because like I see well, a lot of statistics about businesses, but I never really thought about the I've government. Always, I've always been very interested in finding out those equations, right? Yeah. I think we've talked with our boss once about it, just finding out how, how do you... It's got to be a standard equation to figure out. The rate equation? Rate equations. Oh, yeah, kind of is. Although he's saying that based on the contract, based on the work, based on, there's a lot of variables. Well, I think so, it also depends on what goes in overhead, right? There's something. So, so you're, you're talking about indirect rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, the, the formulas are actually very standardized, and it's, it's, it's based on what the government causes a, uh, a causal relationship. So, for example, we're talking about something like fringe benefits, those have a causal relationship to actual labor so that we calculate all the benefits and things that we're doing for um, for our employees and then we divide it by labor so that rate is very simple that that ratio is very simple after that rate structures can get very complex you can have a two rate structure a three rate structure a 10 rate structure it's 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 kind of crazy because you can create rates for many many different things for each contract, maybe even. Well, and some not for each contract. No. The rate is a company-wide thing, but you hmm. can have you can have a rate structure just for subcontract management, or just for material handling, or right. um, you can have a rate structure for like for example, if you have a contract where you're putting people on a military base, so your overhead on the base is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have an overhead rate that's specific to that location as opposed to your home location. Yeah. So what so, about different customers? For example, if I had a military customer and commercial, what if I do business on both? Would I want to have different rate structures? No, absolutely not. And the government requires that you don't. So what the government wants is them to pay their fair share of what your indirect rates are. So let's say that you're doing business with, oh, let's, let's pick on Amazon. We already have, right? Yep. So we're doing business with Amazon and we've got a contract with them to provide services. I have a pen with it. That's what Oh, I nice. <laughs> <coughs> free pens. I love it. Yeah, free. <clears throat> but so, you know, if you've, let's say you got a contract with Amazon and then you have a contract with the Air Force. What the Air Force wants and what the rules say is that you calculate your rates for your corporation 
assuming that Amazon is a certain percentage of your revenue and the Air Force is a certain percentage of mm. your revenue. And then you apply those indirect costs by percentage to each contract so that the Air Force is paying their fair share. So a good example would be that you've got a million dollars in sales. Amazon is 900,000 and the Air Force is 100,000. Air Force wants to pay 10% of your indirect rates because they're 10% of the million. And that's, that's how the rate structure works. Okay. So it is a single rate structure. It's not a separate one for Amazon than it is for the how, Air Force. Is it possible then, to, and I don't know, we got to get to break here, but is it possible to, to give discounts then to a customer? Here, a perfect example. Let's say I have a software factory, right? Let's say I've got, I'm running software and I've got so much work I don't know what to do with. I've got an Air Force customer, a Navy customer, an Army customer, and then commercial customer. If I go to all of them and say, look, I've got too much work for the peop for what I can do, but if you're willing to let me take longer to do your job, meaning push it to the right, I'll give you a discount, 10% discount off my rate, as opposed to if you need it sooner, then I'm gonna charge you, have to charge you more for that rate. So, I, so it's, it levels my, how to, how to hire people, because I can't hire and fire all the time, especially for software developers, for example, or engineers, or you're trying to keep that so you're not trying to hire and fire and try not to bust on, on every schedule. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting situation. So, so if, if, if you decide, for example, well, there's, there's kind of two different places here, but if you decide in, in your case, that kind of discount, the government would be interested in, um, or, or would say that is okay, as long as they're not having to pay for the discount that you're giving to someone else. Does that make sense? Sure. Because their fair share would be the non-discounted rate. Sure. So that discount would basically be effectual to whoever you're giving the discount to, which would lower your profit potential on that particular contract. But you wouldn't be gaining or, or recouping that from a government contract. Yeah. Um, because then the government would call foul. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you wouldn't add that additional to them, but it would help you make sure you meet the government's time schedule, for example, right? If, if somebody else would say, yeah, I really don't need this by June, I can get it by October, I'm fine. Okay, well, then I'll, give you, I'll be willing to give you a, a lower rate then because I'm not going to work on your stuff up front and you're allowing me to work on more important things or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is a part of it where when you talk about your indirect rates, that you can make management decisions to lower the amount of that rate that you charge a particular client. But what the, what the government requires there is that if you do so, that their contracts don't pick up the burden. That's really the, yeah, that's really that's really the game. Okay, well, let's take a quick break. And I, I, got, I got many more questions. This is I know a good you conversation. Do. I know you do. But we're going to go over a quick break. Money matters. Money matters. That's right. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Puebloplex is located east of the Pueblo Airport Industrial Park. As a designated state authority, Puebloplex is responsible for implementing the reuse of the Pueblo Chemical Depot's 3 million square feet of buildings and over 23,000 acres of land. Implementations of the redevelopment plan include seeking companies to continue to generate economic development within southeastern Colorado. Puebloplex currently has tenants conducting manufacturing, warehousing, and distribution operations, and rail car storage and maintenance, in addition to serving numerous business and personal storage tenants. For a detailed look and updated information, visit Puebloplex.com. 
Welcome back to this week's Smallest Cast Podcast. This week, we've got DK with us. Welcome back, DK. Hey. And we've got Brian here, founder hey. and CEO of Pantheon Solutions. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. Okay, so now I'm going to stop talking now well, a little bit. Well, I got to say, I got, <clears throat> but this is great. I love q and you who We talk. just have to kind of sit here and listen, although we t- tend to talk a lot too, but <clears throat> changes in rates. So we get all the time when, so I'm a business development guy and I get like, we're going to bid on a contract and the companies go, hey, we need you guys to lower your your rates to like, you know, from 10 to seven, I'm just throwing numbers out because obviously those are way off, but, but you know what I mean? They're like, Hey, we need you to drop them. And we typically go back and we can't really quite do it like that because the company, as you mentioned, has set rates and they're approved, they're government approved rates. You can't just change them. Is that true? Or how's that all work? I just want that, throw that out there. So my listeners can no. So people stop asking us? Yes. <laughs> Cause, cause stop they, asking for a 0.5 rate. Yeah, no, lower than that. Lower than that almost sometimes. Yeah, I mean, there's a constant battle between people who, you know, want to have a lower rate. Yeah. You know, even whether it's within your, your internal business that you think it makes you more competitive or if a particular client is trying to... Uh, to, to get you to reduce the rates. It's usually or the first. It's not usually the client. It's almost always, hey, we got to go after this contract. We got to go for low. Price to win. And we want to, yeah. And, and so many people always want to, well, let's, we, you know, you guys, we, we can go lower. We want you guys to go lower. And that's just constant. And it, and it comes down to the same question that we started really before the break, which was about discounts, right? Yeah. So if, and, and I'll just throw out some silly numbers. Let's say you've got a 30% fringe rate and a, um, and I'm just going to do a two rate structure to make it easy yep. and a 50%, um, you know, uh, indirect rate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's the rate that you've got approved with the government. You've got a cost type contract. You're billing at that rate at the end of the rate, you know, you're going to do all the things with that, which is justify that that rate actually happened. You're going to do an adjusting invoice to what the rate came up to, let's say from 30 to 50, it went from 32 to 48. You, you know, you recalculate and you, you send the government a, an adjusted bill because that's based on actual costs, right? right? So now you've got a contract that comes up and your uh, executive team says, you know, the only way we're going to win this is Let's if we low. drop our indirect rate to 25. Yeah. Right. So now you're giving up 25% on your indirect rate. Yep. Well, you can. That's your choice. That is, that is a business decision. However, that 25% that you are penalizing your company, you're not collecting from whoever you're bidding that to, as long as you don't charge it to the other contract. So now those, those costs that are not being recouped from that contract because you're underrating have to be removed from the rating system. It's to be recouped somewhere. Well, really. it can't be because then it's not fair to the other contracts. Mm. Well, you... You couldn't put it on a contract you're currently on contract, but you could bid the next contract higher. Certainly. So, but then whether you win or not, that's a whole yeah. other thing. But. And, and then you get the difference between are you in a fixed price environment or a cost type, type environment? Because regardless of what you bid a cost type contract, in the end, you're going to charge exactly what your rates add up to in the end. Because you're going to do a rates reconciliation. You're going to say, this was what my rate is. And then you're going to redo your invoicing. But if you if you bid the next one higher and it's a fixed price contract, and let's say you overrated it and you ended up making twenty percent more than you thought you would, All right? That's just the way it is, because a fixed price contract, um, when a fixed price contract is negotiated, that's a fair price for whatever that you said you were going to yeah. uh, deliver. You both and agreed. If, and if you lose money or make money, no one cares because the price was set up front. Right. Well, that, 
that's actually not true. And, and I'll, I'll go back to that. There's some questions <laughs> I want to ask you on that one. Yeah, I, I, I oversimplified so the answer. The, <laughs> so what's the bottom? The bottom line is, is what is you you should could consider it, but it's actually going to affect the company. It's not just uh, the contract by you dropping just to win. It's better to kind of just leave things because otherwise you need to go back and look at all your stuff really, right? I mean, you don't want to just try to that, – that's what I'm trying to get to. Because, again, I get companies all the time, well, just, we just need to go, you know, drop it. And I'm like, uh, uh. one, I personally don't like to do that because why? Why do we want to keep fighting to the bottom, right? Um, that's my big gripe. And, I, and I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. And, so and we're setting a precedent by doing that. And I can't remember, it came to my head right now, but I can't remember who said it, but it said, hey, we're, we're going to make up for our losses per widget by making more widgets. Yeah. That doesn't work, right? No. Um, so no. the, the reality here is that the most important thing is to calculate your rates based on what's going on in your business, what you think your forecasts are, what your expenses are going to be. For example, if you win, is that going to change your expenses? So you know what your profit margin is. If you decide to give up some of that profit margin, that's fine. But here's the thing. If you decide to give up more than you have in profit margin, why would you take a job in a, in a losing fashion? Yeah. And if you win, you well, need to add more back in too because you got more work to do. One case, right? I, I could see one case where right. you would take a loss, and that's if you want to get in with a new customer. Well, I mean, yeah. it, and it is, it is possible that there the, are some foot-in-the-door decisions yeah. that you make that, that you might lose on a contract. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I really think, you know, when I, when I worked with, um, you know, my previous company, the simulator company, we, we worked almost exclusively with government contracts. Mm. We bid all our contracts the way we saw them. We tried to make sure that our rates were exactly what was going on. Mm. You know, we took the, the basically the, the minimal amount of profit that you could get from the government, which is, you know, like between, you know, right around 7%-ish. And that company stayed in business. I was with them on their 29th year. I left them seven years ago. They're still hopping, right? Yep. And it's because they've they don't they lose money fair. on contracts. They were right? fair, and they well, did work. that's a, so that was yeah. the next question I wanted to ask. All right, I this is a good conversation. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Back in a previous life, I worked for, for a big boy contractor, yeah. um, and I used to be part of a lot of negotiations on a lot of the new programs. They would use me as engineer. You know, the tech guy be in negotiations. I always thought it was interesting, but at the same time, you know, uh, uh, especially on a cost plus, the government would come to us and say, um, I can't think of the form that they have us fill out. For fair and reasonableness, they'd want to fill out for profit. There's some type of form that we would fill out. And, and I was in being somewhere between 8 and like 11%. Like, would it be like the worst thing ever if you'd ever want to make more than that kind of profit? When the commercial side, is making thirty to fifty percent profit on their stuff. Yeah, um, I just don't, I don't. That's a huge difference, right? I mean, trying to. Well, I mean, there. So there's your question. Well, the question, <laughs> and I'm going to go back to when he said, um, "I'm like you know, waiting." Okay, what's if the question? If your firm fixed price, it shouldn't matter whether you win or if you if you make money or lose money. And if in a true contract sense, that is 100%. But I've been part of programs No, he didn't say it shouldn't matter. He just says it doesn't matter because you negotiate that price up front and you're it, either going to... I agree. You spend more money than what it costs you. If, if, if I hire you to build me a deck at my house, and let's yep. say uh, we, we settle on $5,000. We both think that's fair, reasonable. Yep. Uh, it's going to take you six months. I, was, I, I handshake on six yep. months. We write a contract, whatever. Did you spit to... $5,000? Sure. 
All right. Spit at you. All right. <laughs> spit in your general direction. <laughs> um, no. So, but I, I could care less as long as you meet my requirements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could care less if, it, if you get it done in one month and make $4,700 so and you use extra Your question material? is, should the government care if I make 50% or if I make 10% as long as I deliver the product? Correct. What I was going to say is what I've, what I've found is if the government ever catches you, not catches you, but catches wind that, hey, maybe you found a better way to do something. I've had government customers like get very upset. Like, I can't believe you made 20% profit on that job. Well, why? I just manage my people better. I don't see what the problem is with that. But they get very upset when because they, they get that mindset of, well, you shouldn't make more than 8 or to 10% profit. I guess question, that's is, that, kind of yeah, question I mean, is, is that true? Well, no, there is, there is a little bit of a play on that when it comes to the government because there's, there's a lot of pressure on the government side to um, Keep to make down. sure that the, the costs are right. So, so when, you, when you bid a firm fixed price contract, there's somebody on the government side that does an analysis that comes up with the should pay amount, yep. should right? Cost. And so when they get that should cost is actually the right term, and if you're off that should cost, like say, let's say you're twice as high and then you still negotiate and you get the money you want and then you come in closer to the should cost, they're mad, right? Yeah. Um, and because probably more they feel mad that they, well, but I think they feel like you pulled the, you, you pulled the wool over their eyes. Right. I mean, so I, I, I think that's one of those things. And if, and if you did that over and over and over again, I think the government would probably stop doing business with well, you. And you're probably going to get away like any other business should do that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so I think it's, you, you try, when you go through this process, you try to be fair and reasonable, but you know, when you're in a fixed price environment, you <laughs> also have to identify risk because if something goes wrong that you didn't realize was going to go wrong and, and then you lose it. your shirt, the yeah. government doesn't care they're now. Right. They're not mad. No. Yeah. yeah. Not at all. Mad. Not at all. But, but, well, well, they're, they're mad because you're not delivering. I was going to say, that's <laughs> where they're mad. If, if you don't provide the product, they're mad. Yeah, they're mad. But, yeah. You know, so I think I think it's one of those things when you go through a contract, and I've been in a contract like that where they wanted me to move a simulator from one building to another, and I bid a certain percentage of what if I drop one of these $10,000 projectors and those kinds of things, and they're yeah. like, well, dropping a projector, you know, that shouldn't happen. And I'm like, it shouldn't happen, <laughs> but these things do happen. Yeah. Yeah. And Unless I, you're going to call that fourth de jour, and then you know, I'll be fine. Yeah, and the thing is, is I've got... You know, I've got technicians that are out there working, you know, at 20 feet above the ground doing a projector. And I tell them, hey, if you look like you're losing the balance, let the projector go, right? Because yeah, yeah. that's not worth it's it. cheaper than the And so, <laughs> so you have to bid those things. And then when you get through, in this, in this case, we did move a simulator from one building to another. Everything went perfect. But I had to bid everything potentially not going perfect right. because they wanted a firm fixed price quote. Yep. So we made a lot of money because we did it right and we got it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But and like you said, I like how you said, so very, very key. If you're going to bid front fixed price, uh, make sure you have a very, very detailed risk, risk schedule, right? Here, here's, yeah. my, here's my risk um, because that's what they're going to take on or what, what you're going to take on. But um, we would always turn those risks around a lot of times and make additional profit on it because be like, hey, you know, um, this, is, this is something that we think we could help Mitigate. you guys with. Mitigate the mitigate, risk. Yeah, mitigate sure. the risk or whatever and, and help them on a firm fixed price. But I personally prefer firm fixed price contracts myself. 
Well, there's, um, there's certainly a lot easier to, to manage. And, and, and quite frankly, there's an opportunity to make more money than yep. the little standard 7.5%. Well, why is it that risk and you have opportunity, right? Why is exactly. it risk and opportunity? Exactly. Why is it that a lot of companies shy away from that? I know a lot do. They're, oh, it's firm fixed price, but we won't go there. Well, you know, a cost-type contract, yeah. there, there is no risk. No risk. That's, yeah. that's why they hold your fee to 7.5%, right? Right. Because there is no risk. If you don't deliver on a cost-type contract, what does the government say? Cost type contract in the rules says best effort under the funding provided. So if your best effort wasn't good enough, too bad for the government. Yeah. So I think most Less people risk. are scared of that very first firm fixed price. So let's say you're building widgets and they want to make, make it firm fixed price. Well, that, fir that first widget you're going to build, you're going to have R&D included. It might not go as planned, right? Yeah. But as you do more and more of them, so that very first one is really tough. But as long as you bind yourself with a risks and opportunities, and, you know, really put, I mean, that first risk, firm fixed price contract I ever did, I had probably 120 performance-based payment milestones, which at first the government was okay with. Then after about a year and a half in, they're like, oh, this is too many. I can't, I can't just give you $100,000 because you wrote a, a report or whatever. But is like, that when you were moving the nuclear warheads? Is that that one? Shh. <clears throat> <All right. laughs> I want to change the... <laughs> well, no, just before, yeah. before we change the subject, I, I also want to go on to one of the reasons people don't like the, the cost type contracts is because it is best effort, but the government puts a lot of pressure on you still to deliver what they want. Right. And then people feel like they're in this cycle where yeah. they have to, and they've got people working overtime that they're not getting paid for and a whole bunch of other things because now they're afraid because the government will, will kind of allude to, well, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the next one. Yeah. Uh, so they feel a lot of pressure to deliver, mm. but the contract law says you do your best effort. And if you didn't deliver, then they have to decide whether they're going to pony up more money for you to finish or, or they're going to go a different route. Yeah. And it's the different route that they use against or, you yep. to try to get pressure you into giving a firm fixed price deliverable under a cost type hmm. contract. And so the last thing I'll say is the reason why I, as so as a lead engineer, when I used to be the one that was operations side of things and, and make sure that things got completed on my firm fixed price contracts. If I had both a, a cost plus and a firm fixed price, the problem I would have is if it was the same customer, they'd be like, hey, Nate, I want you to add another computer over here. Well, cost plus, great, that's sweet. Just send, send my contracts officer a note real quick. We'll sign the paperwork, we're good. They hated it when I said on firm fixed price, we'd love to do that but it's not in the contract. I would literally print my contract out. It would be part of my books that I would carry everywhere. That way I could educate my, the, the, my PM on the government side usually, uh, because they, you know, they were usually not the ones that were part of negotiations. So they stuff, don't know yeah. what's out there or right. what you w were put on contract for. So I'd be like literally carrying it with me. I'm like, Hey, that's great. Um, we'll do this for you. Uh, here's X amount of time, X amount of dollars. Uh, we're just going to negotiate real quick and we're good. And they're like, what? But on this contract, I can just add scope. And I'm like, that doesn't work that way. And for a fixed price though. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's amazing when you talk to people who actually administer contracts, they know that if you go out and buy a $5,000 computer, they're probably going to pay $12,000 for it by the time you get through the procurement process and all the rating and everything that goes on with it. Right. right. But your program office or, or especially the, uh, uh, I was trying to think of the, the person that's at the base level that, that watches everything and I can't remember their name now, but they have no idea that that's what it really costs for you to pull that off. Right. Yeah. So you go, they're like, it's a $3,000 computer. 
computer. Why did usually. why did you send me a bill for twelve thousand dollars? You say, hey, that's just how it works, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, welcome to the doing business with the government. The four hundred dollar hammer, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, it wasn't four hundred. It was like four million. <laughs> four thousand. <laughs> well, it's a specialty handle, yeah. handle yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure grip. I went to give the government their due. They are getting better at those small things, right? Now it's like less than yeah. five thousand dollars. They don't care. You don't have to track it anymore or whatever it is. But there's yeah. certain values now that you can do. But you got some more questions. Well, I, I wanted to change the topic slightly. So how did you get into this space? Like, uh, did you say earlier that you were in the military? Is that how, yeah. or how did you find yourself here? That's well, always you a know, curious it, journey. It, it, His it, car. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, I, I drove. I drove down. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> well, no. So I, I actually. <laughs> I spent time in cost and budget analysis in the Air Force, which ah. kind of got me on the government side. And uh, when I left the military, I thought I'd be through with that. But then because of that experience, when I went to work for the simulator company, they pushed me, you know, basically on there. that side. And that got me into, you know, dealing with a simulator company now working on that side of the fence. And, you know, you're there 10 years, you learn a lot of things about contract negotiations and program management right. and things. And it's just kind of snowballed for me since then. That, that, I, cause I just kind of heard that. I think you kind of briefly mentioned that. And I'm always fascinated how people get to where they are and how you started your company. Why? What drove you to that? Oh, That's a, and why Pantheon? Yeah. Yeah. We meant to go there too. Oh, no. So Pantheon, uh, the concept was um, the Pantheon itself in Rome is um, to celebrate, uh, uh, you know, people of higher capability, a higher standard. Um, so we want to try to use that name to kind of hold our entire staff accountable to rise above and be just a little bit better. Dang, that was a nice one. I'm telling you, it's a story. I like the it story. It is a story. So how do, how do people get a hold of you? Because you've got a lot of information, and this has been great, by the way. I've learned a lot. Um, how do people get a hold of you? They want to work with you from our ecosystem. What's oh, the best sure. way? Well, I mean, I'm, at, I'm at, at a lot of those events, so you can probably run into me, and I'm that goofy-looking guy with the, the funny gray beard. Here, look at, but, look at the um, camera so yay. can see you. <laughs> um, but, well, and come see um, me or Nate, and we'll point him out to you, too. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> we're the other funny-looking guys. But, um, <laughs> you know, so they, you know, they can email me at brian at pantheonco.com, um, or they can go to our website, www.pantheonco.com, and, um, you know, co, 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 right? Pantheon, yeah. co. It's basically pantheoncolorado.com. Oh, Colorado. Okay. Um, but I thought it was different company. <laughs> yeah. Pantheon yeah. company. Sorry. Well, you know, maybe it's supposed to, but I took it as Colorado. So maybe I'm That's just, fine. uh, baby, uh, baby <laughs> in the woods. The one no. works, I guess. Yeah. Right. And as long as I get there. But, um, yeah, they can just go to our website and hit contact us and, and uh, do that. Or they can email us. Um, yeah. So we're. Well, cause I know we have a lot of questions and we're not even, we're not even business owners. So I'm, I would assume as if I was a business owner, I would always have lots of questions regarding my financial status, compliance. I mean, that might Me be probably too. my number one thing that I would. Of course yeah. I would be that business owner. That'd probably be dumb and tr figure out that oh, I'm just going to do it, go on the cheap and do it myself. <laughs> cause that's how I am. And then I'd fail. So yeah, that's why I'm not a business owner. So right you now. get hit by a uh, well, you know that's it. that's why I send all of my clients to you know places like the smalls, right? I, yeah. I I recommend to my clients to come to the smalls and stuff like that because the big value is being able to talk to other business owners right. and share those experiences. Yep. And then you know sometimes you meet providers like me that are a good fit for you, but most of the time you just meet another business owner who's been there and done that, yep. and it's very that experience helpful. that yeah. you don't have yet that you wish you did. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the things they've done that were a total disaster that you can avoid yeah. because, you know, another I mean, business owner told you, hey, don't go down that road. There's one thing to learn from your mistakes and just run the experiment. But there's another thing when that experiment costs you the company. Well, and don't right. wait. The other lesson this year, don't wait. If you have questions or, you know, you're starting to grow or you're getting looks like you might be winning some contracts, contact guys like Pantheon to kind of help you be ready. Yeah. Don't wait until you win and then like, oh boy, what do we do? Yeah, and, um, you, and you, no. you never know when it's gonna take off. I mean, you yeah. might get the exact niche that makes it just go crazy. I had a, I got a, a, I've got a client that I'll tell you about. This time last year, they had four employees and their total revenue for the year before was about $150,000. This time this year, they have 25 employees and their revenue for January and February is 1.2 million. Hmm. So you never know when it's right. going to take off. Yep, yep, yep. It yep. all starts with that first conversation. It does. Ooh, back to our book. All right. Well, hey, thank you very much for coming down today. And we will be in uh, Broomfield, I think. You know, like I said, the, in May, I think the third week of May. I'll confirm that and get the word out. And then in Colorado Springs, we're going to be here April 20th. Uh, we'll be at uh, MASH Mechanics, 5 to 7 p.m. on the tw Wednesday, the 20th of April. And then I believe it's the 8th or 9th of June down in Pueblo. The 8th of, 8th June. of June. Wednesday, down the 8th of June. Yep. We'll be in Pueblo at Water Tower Place again. And, and you can, uh, we'll introduce you to Brian up there in, uh, well, and so, in Wonderland. Well, and so next week, we're also going to be, both of us are going to be at the Space, Space Symposium. Symposium. But this probably walking won't be, this won't be on the Yeah, next. me too. That, that's the way, yeah, this probably, yeah. So, hey, nice seeing you guys at the Space Symposium <laughs> because this is going up afterwards. Uh, you know. you got okay. It. All right, let's go. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks a lot for coming yes. down. We no, really no, appreciate it. I really it. enjoyed the Thank conversation. You. It was great. And we hope we get you linked up with some more folks, get yes. some more business. I appreciate it, Brian. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, so, guys. Just Nate signing off. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You've reached the end of another episode of the Smalls Cast podcast. Connect with us at thesmalls.org. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to receive our free materials. See you at the next episode. See you at the next episode.